2: Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's. When you need snacks for game time, you need Trader Joe's. You'll score with interesting munchies like gochujang almonds and cornbread crisps and snacks like mango sticky rice spring rolls, all at prices that make you the winner. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram.
3: To the Audible, I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Apologies that I am coming into you on a phone rather than the way we usually record this. Just weird weird, internet stuff. I can't really explain it. Hopefully, it sounds okay. Speaking of disruptions, Bruce, you you are now uh, internet famous for being the sideline reporter for not one but two three hour plus weather delays this season. And our friend John Walters, who was on the podcast recently, who writes the bubble screen column for the All-American, was so caught up in this that he actually made you the lead of his weekly TV roundup story. Take us through that what looked like a pretty bitterly cold and rainy and miserable experience Saturday
4: in East Lansing. It was. uh, What was strange about it was at K-State, so first of all, This has now happened within a three-week stretch. It's not like it's been like even opposite ends of the season. It's basically all been within the same month. At the K-State one, we expected there to be bad weather and possible lightning. That was discussed, and that was a, a, a potential reality of it. In the case of this, it was a chance of showers, but we did not hear anything about lightning. So as you're going into it, you're thinking, okay, you know, there was hail before the game. Like, I mean, about 10 minutes before I was supposed to do my first uh, in-game hit, like there is like pea-sized hail coming down cold and, you know, and hard at you. And then that subsided, but, you know, it was was rain. And then uh, my producer in my ear said, hey, just a heads up, there's lightning warning in the area. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. And probably like 15 minutes later, the game was halted. And what's, what's crazy about it was, you know, I had learned, you know, kind of had a protocol in my head of, okay, now after the K-State game, I know exactly what what I should be doing. You know, you try to find the two-point people from each program, which usually isn't the athletic director. It's usually like a deputy AD or a def- director of football operations or whoever's been designated to kind of handle that. You have different conference officials and you, and you have the officiating crew that you're engaged with, but you got to stay connected to them and, you know, be hover around for their meetings. But so in that sense, it was, it was a little easier to do it this sense this way. The negative was with the K state one, it was about 58 degrees with the Michigan state one. It was about 38 degrees. So it was way colder uh, I don't think there was as much lightning, but there was lightning and that's that's how the rules are. And so just to be in the middle of it and you're running around and you know, is it's a uh, it's a very surreal experience, especially when, you know, it's it's new to all these guys. I mean, you've just experienced it, but when I asked the uh Penn State SID Chris Peterson about it, I said when was the last time you guys had dealt with a weather delay? And she brought up Jeff Nelson, who's the longtime SID. And I was like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, "Oh, this is probably a long time." She goes, "Yeah, about 2,000. So Penn State hadn't experienced it in almost twenty years, and then for it to go on as long as it did. And at one point, the officials had told me we probably won't be able to start till five thirty, which would have meant it would have been the the delay was about three hours and thirty minutes. The delay then would have been over four and a half hours. So fortunately, it, it didn't come to that. No record. Uh, well, it would have been longer than the K State one for sure. And K State, what was also sucked about that was it was three hours. And then in the fourth quarter, it was another hour on top of that. So this was. So, and-
3: you're, so you're, you know, you're brought, you're, you know, the, the, the studio guys would keep going back out to you. You would be standing there in your winter cap in the tunnel. It just looked cold. You looked miserable. Where are Brady and Joe during this period?
4: In this case, so they uh, evacuated pretty much everybody in the stadium to some other buildings nearby on the Michigan State campus. At one point, uh, they had, uh, you know, you're kind of in communication with them a little bit. They had sent me a uh, text. They were going for food in the cafeteria somewhere where they're walking around with trays and whatever, and like you know Brady usually checks in with me a decent amount during this or has and he was like hey anything that we can get you I was like yeah do you have chicken parm up there he was like no we don't but i sorry i can't help you so the you know and i mentioned this to John Walters I was like at one point because people are watching our game our game was the best game in that window you know you're hearing from a lot of people man you look you look really cold you look like you know you're getting you're getting rained on bad Pat Narduzzi, I didn't know Pitt was off, you know, longtime Michigan State defensive coordinator, now the head coach at Pitt, texts me, uh, you ought to get a hold of so-and-so and get them to get you some protein bars at least because you're going to, you know, you're going to starve out there. So I had interviewed the strength coach the day before about something and he was nice enough to go in. And, and because I had a runner with me and the runner was just a, you know, was a student you know, like he didn't have anything to eat either. So I was kind of giving him what, what they gave me. And, you know, it's in, in one part, it's kind of cool. Cause as a reporter, you feel like you're very engaged and this is like your adrenaline's up because there's information and you're the only person who's going to be getting the information for a short, for that period of time. So, you know, there was that, it, what was also different about this one was I had access to the uh, photographer's room and at least they had a TV up, so I was, you know, they had the uh, FS1 at one point, or Fox had gone to Texas Tech, K State, and at least I watched that for about twenty minutes while I tried to charge my phone in between meetings. So there was that.
3: Well, you're you're a stronger man than me. I don't I don't. This is this is uh, not a career path I ever considered going down. In days like that kind of reinforce it for me. You love it. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, I mean, I think the good news out of all this was you ended up being there for this huge upset um, with, with major ramifications and, of course, not the only one in the Big Ten. So so on this podcast a week ago, we're talking about Penn State, Ohio State. I was just there. Big game, playoff ramifications. Who would have thought a week later if they're both done? Penn State loses on last-second field goal to Michigan State, which is at least not nearly as humbling as Ohio State going to Iowa Kirk Ferentz, my coach of the week, putting up 55 on them, at one point running a fake field goal play I've never seen before that has to be one of the most clever I've ever seen, where the holder ends up throwing a touchdown. Uh, it almost was a touchdown. He fell short of it uh, to the long snapper. And it's two days later, and I still can't figure out how the heck this happened.
4: Yeah, you know, we our crew has done Iowa games twice this year, including the week before we had them beating Minnesota. Nate Stanley's a really talented young quarterback, big arm, moves pretty well in the pocket. But the thing that I struggled with was they couldn't—this they, has been one of the worst running teams I was had. You know, they're near the bottom of the Big Ten. How do they run for 250 yards on this defense, which everyone talks about having, you know, an NFL-caliber defensive line, the deepest defensive line in the country, and all this speed they have? What happened to the Ohio State defense?
3: Nobody knows. I mean, I will say that they, from a passing standpoint, they the, t- the tight ends for Iowa caught four touchdowns. So clearly, they saw something about Ohio State and their linebackers and not being great in pass coverage, and they exploited that. But in terms of running for 250 yards against the same defense that just, you know, completely shut down Saquon Barkley the week before, I don't know. It seemed like one of those just once this, once it started to go downhill, it just snowballed.
4: This look. This is the second game we've we've had. Our crew has had to go into Columbus, and both coming off really bad Buckeye losses. We had them the week after Oklahoma drilled them, and now we have them after just getting you know whipped at Iowa. So you see how we'll see how they respond. Uh, I want to ask you though this. So before our our game Saturday, we're meeting with with we met with both staffs, but we met with at Michigan State, and D'Antonio basically said, hey, you know, we control our own destiny, you know, and going into November. And this is, they were coming off a a heartbreaking loss to Northwestern. They've obviously already lost by, well, like 20 to Notre Dame. And he said, you know, all we could ask for is to go into November with, with controlling our own destiny, which they do. This is an extremely young team. They start one senior on offense, two on defense. Most of their better players are sophomores. If people haven't seen Brian Lewerke, he's terrific. I mean, he's an Arizona kid who looked completely comfortable playing in miserable conditions the other day. Uh, I've been so impressed with him. Um, I am curious now. So if they were to run the table, let's go hypothetical, and this is going to be the jumping-off point for what I think could be a reality. We could get a two-loss team into the four-team playoff. Michigan State, if they were to run the table – they would have wins over uh Iowa, they would have wins over Wisconsin, Penn State, uh Michigan and Ohio State and won, you know, won the conference. Their loss obviously against Notre Dame is not a good one because it was handily. And I don't think Twelve and one Michigan State, or 12, I'm sorry, eleven and two Michigan State. I don't think would be able to get go ahead of an eleven and one Notre Dame when Notre Dame won the head to head by twenty points. But when you start looking around, where do you see the the two lost teams that have the best shot to get into the playoff right now?
3: First of all, let's just acknowledge that a lot of dominoes would have to fall because right now, you know. I mean, I think it would start with Notre Dame having to lose a game here either this
4: week to Miami. I don't think that would even do it, Stu. I think if you're Michigan State, you just got to say, you know what, we we could we have to hope Notre Dame wins out because then the loss, will hey, we lost to a team that's in the playoff, and well, then
3: you're running out of spots because you know, as I I wrote about um, Monday morning on the All American, which by the way, let me use this as a segue to mention that we now have. It's uh, you know, I'm sure most people listening to this by now, if not all, realize that I am the editor-in-chief of this site, The All-American, and, and I'm sure a lot of you are subscribers. But if you haven't subscribed yet, we now have a special offer just for listeners of The Audible. You go to theathletic.com slash The Audible, you get a seven-day free trial, 25% off, an annual subscription after that.
4: Um, I did not know we were having a commercial there, by the way, Stu, but but feel free.
3: No, I mean, this is a no-brainer. If you haven't subscribed to All American yet, I, I don't know.
4: If, hey, I said I didn't know we were having a commercial. I didn't say we were, I were having two of them. So it's moving along.
3: If you, if you didn't, if you, if you care enough about, about care enough about a college football to listen to this podcast, I don't know why you wouldn't subscribe. Okay. So here's the issue. Getting back to the playoff discussion, I feel like at this point. If you're a fan of any team out there that's trying to get in the playoff and isn't necessarily sure you're going to be able to do it, you need Auburn to beat Georgia this week. You need those SEC teams, those top two SEC teams, to rack up, to get a loss before the uh, SEC championship game because they're all tied together. So okay, so let's say, that, going the
4: let's say that happens. Yeah. Let's say Auburn does beat Georgia. It's at Auburn, and they do that, and then Alabama beats Georgia. So then... You have a two-loss Georgia. I'm not sure. You know, I don't think you're getting Two-loss
3: Georgia way. that doesn't win its conference.
4: Which would have lost two yeah. of, like, their last three games. I don't think. I think uh, that doesn't help. Oh, so that,
3: I, I think the only hope for those two-loss, because yeah. two right now it's either going to be Wisconsin, and I do think Wisconsin has to be undefeated because of that schedule. Agreed. This is from the Big Ten. Or it's going to be a two-loss East champ. And I think, you know, I think a two-loss East champ would probably... I think they'd be at the top of the list, though. I could, you know, what about Oklahoma? What if Oklahoma loses to TCU this week, but then they're probably going to play again in the Big Twelve championship game and beats them, and they have wins over Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and TCU. That seems like a better. They have a better case than
4: Michigan State would. I don't know. They would both be. They would both have beaten Ohio State, though, so that kind of nullifies it a little bit. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, you'd you'd have to look and then say, okay, your losses where, you know, they did lose by twenty to Notre Dame. Uh, then I think it's a it's a discussion though at that point.
3: You know, right now you look at the standing, you know, look at the standing Tuesday night and it'll seem like it's a pretty narrow kind of pool of teams at this point. Um, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, and then I guess the debate Tuesday night will be between Clemson and Oklahoma. And Nobody outside of that seems particularly realistic right now. Obviously, Miami could change that by beating Notre Dame, and and you know, obviously, with a chance to win the ACC. Um, but there's only a couple of dominoes that have to fall for it to suddenly be. You know, what about Washington sitting out there with one loss because they come back into the picture, and then obviously, could a two-loss champion from either? I don't think the ACC could pull it off but from the Big Twelve, maybe. Uh, for, or from the Big Ten, uh, it's going to happen at some point, and maybe it'll be this year.
4: Yeah, look, as you said, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. We're, we're not even into mid-November yet, uh, but maybe this is like a little bit like ten years ago when all the craziness happened in 2007. Because you are talking about four four spots, not two.
3: So I've seen people make that comparison. I, I, by by the by, this point in the 2007 season, all hell had broken loose. I mean. That season was unique in that you had teams like USF moving up to number two at one point. I think BC was number two at one point. Then it looked like Oregon was going to make it, and then Dad Dixon got hurt. I don't think we've quite reached that level of chaos yet. Cause what you're seeing is, you know, I mean, that Ohio State game, that was crazy the other day, but they lost and lost the way they did in Penn State, too. But the top five teams in the playoff race won, so in the playoff standings. So it wasn't all that chaotic. Miami was a slight underdog of Virginia Tech. And and, and took care of that. And I want to ask you about Miami. So I wrote about them as the lead of the as the lead of the forward pass, which is on this site called the All-American. And if you go to it, I won't do that again. Thank you. um, you've said that Miami won't be back unless, until they win a national championship. But what if they beat number three, Notre Dame, Saturday night, and are undefeated, probably going to be undefeated, going into the ACC championship game? The other night was the first time that I watched them and said, Yeah, they're pretty good. You know, up to that point, it was a lot of last-second escapes against not great teams. They played great defense. They completely shut down Virginia Tech, forced a lot of turnovers, got that chain. But what I think was really cool is for years now, it's been a kind of a running joke on Twitter. Miami's about to kick off. Here's a picture of the, you know, three-quarters empty Hard Rock Stadium. That place was rocket rocking the other night. Uh, Mark Rick mentioned it was how loud it was. Um, you know, you got celebrity fans there now with A. Rod and J- Jennifer Lopez. You know, they're not. Are you are you willing to maybe concede they might be back sooner than we think?
4: Well, uh, they got they got they haven't won the ACC yet. They haven't. They are they are pretty good. I, I'm not disputing. It looks like they're Mi- going to win the division. When Miami be back, Miami was great. They're not great yet. You can't say they're great at this point. So let's pump the brakes a little bit.
3: They're not great yet. And I think that, look, Notre Dame might go in there and beat them by 20. And
4: Well, if that's the case, then Miami's not the- back.
3: Well, the hype then the hype will go away for a while, and they can go on. But they could still go on and have a pretty good season.
4: They could, but pretty, good, think- pretty good is not back for Miami. That's the point. That you—you oh,
3: got tough standards.
4: No, but I know what the history was.
3: Well, I will say this, and you know, they mentioned during the game, they you know, game day is going down there. It'll be the first time since a 2001 game against Syracuse, which I covered. That was obviously the great 2001 team. I don't think I appreciated how great they were at the time, but Syracuse had Dwight Freeney. They were 14th in the country. They were eight and two, and Miami beat them 59 to nothing. Then the next week. Washington came there, Rick Neuheisel's Washington team that I think finished number two or three in the country the year before, and they beat them like
4: 66-7. to seven. You know what I remember about that, the buildup to that one? It was one of those things where people, I think it was, it was a, a, a college football magazine, had, and it wasn't like an SI I'm talking about, had a breakdown of by positions, and it gave Cody Pickett the edge over Ken Dorsey. You know, strictly from well, Cody Pickett has a better NFL arm, and it's like, yeah, that's not even close to accurate.
3: Thank you for bringing up Cody Pickett. I have not heard that name in probably fifteen years.
4: Yeah, it's just like uh, you know, I think people no, forgot how just is, how good they were then.
3: No, this is baby steps, right? This is hey, Miami beat a top fifteen team by uh, eighteen points. They might be getting, to, they might be in the right track. They are not obviously. One of you know, at the level they were then, but nobody expected that. I didn't expect them to be 8-0 at this point in the season. And, um, you know, they're obviously very good on defense. The running game has been better than I would have expected once Walton got hurt. Uh, Rozier is still, you know, can be all over the map a little bit. He had several interceptions the other night, but, you know, he's first year starting quarterback and he's 8-0. Now, Notre Dame, best team they will have faced. Nobody stopped that running a game yet since Georgia. But you know, it's a pretty good defense. I think I I could see them slowing down the Notre Dame rushing attack, but I could also see Notre Dame's defense forcing a lot of turnovers and,
4: so and Who are you picking to win this game,
3: Stu? I'm picking the Irish. Okay. I don't know how much of a margin I'll pick them by yet. Uh, I just think they're they're the better team. Who are you picking?
4: Uh I would be leaning towards Notre Dame too, but just the fact that you know you were asking about is Miami back, and you know, you're picking the visiting team. You know it's not Alabama going in there. By the way, it's a good Notre Dame team, but you're picking a team that wasn't even ranked in the you know in the top 25 going into the year.
3: Miami is not back. I was just egging you on, well, you, but this you is probably the you best. Yeah, this is probably what you said. This is probably the uh, most positive you would feel about the state of Miami football since.
4: Since Jared, Jared Payton ran all over Florida State in the Orange Bowl like 12 years ago. 13 years
3: ago. Uh, I news for you that was 14 years
4: ago. Was it 14 years ago?
3: 2003 season.
4: Yeah, I think it was the two thousand. And the
3: wheels Orange started Bowl. to come yeah. off the next year.
4: Yes. It's been a long time. Look, Rick and that staff have done a really good job, and it's um, – It's going to be interesting to see because they're recruiting well, and we'll see what what the next step is going to be. So, I thought... You know,
3: a guy who deserves a lot of credit is Manny Diaz, their defensive coordinator, the inventor of the turnover chain. And what I think is interesting about him is you don't see this very often in college football, but Mac Brown fired him after the, what, second game of the season, Um, his last year at Texas. Mm -hmm. He was the, you know, they were, Taysom Hill had just, like, you know, completely embarrassed them, you know, Oftentimes when something like that happens, I mean, and that, they might work their way back, but it's that lower-level programs, and I don't know. I just don't think you normally see this, where he not only got back on his feet, first with Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, but he's at the program that is his school and his city, and they are they you know, they are they are shining. I, mean, I could see him winning the Broyles Award or being at least a finalist for the Broyles
4: Award. Yeah, you're right on all that, except for one thing, when you're saying – it wasn't first with Dan Mullen. You forget he had to go to Louisiana Tech after Texas, oh, yeah. and so there was a, a big step down in there, and which is weird because like you know Manny had it going on early on when he got to to uh, UT, and then as you said, the bottom fell out, which was more indicative, I think, of what happened with Mac Brown than certainly with him, but. You know, he he came back, and yeah, I mean, he's a even though he's a Florida State guy, that's where he went to school. You know, his his dad was the was the mayor there. He he knows the Miami history as well as anybody there, and I think um, you know, look, he's the guy who should be on some some people's radar as for a head coaching job. I mean, I think he's proven it again and again, and he's still young. He's forty two or forty three. So I could I could definitely see somebody saying, hey, we ought to hire this guy because he's done really well pretty much everywhere he's been. He's been a huge part of the turnaround at UM.
3: So another huge game over the weekend was Bedlam, obviously. Um, Baker Mayfield, I think, emerges from the weekend as the new Heisman frontrunner, probably the first time since very early in the season that Saquon Barkley is not considered that guy. but. He's basically been shut down as a running back the last two weeks. Bryce Love was shut down. Other than he did have another 50 yard run, but I'm not going. That's all he had,
4: though. Like Br- Bryce to Love make went. That case. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I think at that's this very point, very good Washington defense Friday
3: night.
4: Those three running backs. You know, it's Josh Adams barely played. You know, Brian Kelly said he wasn't feeling well, so he barely played, and they had their biggest out, you know, offensive output of the season against Wake Forest as you said. Will
3: Tate had some moments in the second half against USC, but ultimately, USC got that W and it wasn't like he put on a huge show like he had the weeks before. So,
4: I mean, the one thing I would say, and this is a this is kind of a Baker Mayfield thing, um, you know, Oklahoma State's defense, and, and this again comes from from OU staff, but they were the only team to throw over 300 yards, other than I think Texas Tech did. Everybody else, uh, they held seven of the last eight opponents under 300 yards passing, and three of those under 200 yards, and he threw for almost 600. So. You know to me. Baker Mayfield has a lot of similarities on the field to Johnny Manziel. Where I think he's just the he's the best player in college football. He finds a way to keep making plays, and everybody around him. Because it's not like yeah, the offensive line at OU is really good, but the skill guys are all all pretty much new, and I think that they just all believe somehow this guy. Is going to lead us, and whether we have to score 60 or we have to score 45, he's going to get it done. And I mean, that's the reason why he's he's the front runner in the Heisman. But I also think that's why it was the answer to last week when you and I bickered over whether OU should be ahead of the team they beat in Columbus. You know, they're no, I don't think Oklahoma's defense is very good. They clearly have struggled against some good offenses against some not so good offenses, but they have a great you know, a great eraser for that in Baker Mayfield, and I just think we should appreciate it a little, probably. what?
3: Yeah, I just want to say for the record how wrong I was about Oklahoma, Iowa State. Uh, Oklahoma's the better team. I won't argue that again all season, no matter what I see. Um, yeah, so Baker Mayfield's phenomenal. I mean, almost 600 yards. And in Oklahoma, as, a, uh, as an offense, I believe, ended up with almost 800 yards. That's Crazy. Oklahoma State played a game. I know Texas is just about as bad as it gets on offense this year, but they were in a game only a couple weeks earlier that they won 13 10 in overtime. So they do have it in them somewhere. But I will say this TCU defense that Oklahoma is going to face this week is, you know, kind of head and shoulders above anybody else. What anybody else has been doing in the Big 12 this year. And that's not entirely surprising. It's a Gary Patterson coach team. He has figured out a way to adapt to the styles in that. Um, you know, in that conference and still plays a pretty good
4: D. Let me ask you a question. Uh, You don't know this is coming, but um, so Kyler Murray is very talented. He's got a good arm. He's he's the fastest guy on the team probably at OU. But if Baker Mayfield is not there, and I'm going to preface this by throwing this stuff out, they won at Oklahoma. I'm sorry, they won at Ohio State. At Baylor, they only won by eight. They lost to Iowa State. They only beat Texas by five. Only beat K State by seven, and then last weekend they beat Oklahoma State, their arch rival by ten. So they're eight and one. If they do not have Baker Mayfield, what are they? Five and four? Maybe six and three? Probably.
3: I mean, it's hard to say without we've we've only seen Kyler Murray in very limited doses and it would obviously be a very different offense, but you know, Baker Mayfield is a difference, Nick. Baker Mayfield is their Deshaun Watson. He is fact mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what his legacy I mean obviously if he wins the Heisman, but he obviously goes into just kinda of automatically a, a conversation about some of the the best players in the sport. But we also kinda of tend to whenever we get into those debates about best greatest this, best that, it's usually guys like you know, like you, you know, when we did that top fifty list and you were so high on Cam Newton, he won the national title. You know, Baker Mayfield took his team to the playoffs two years ago last year. Big Twelve, uh, repeated Big Twelve champs, but didn't make the playoff. If this year Oklahoma was to win the Big Twelve again and either either not make the playoff or get in and lose in the semis again, will that keep us from just appreciating what a phenomenal career this guy's had?
4: I think he would be a top fifty player. He would be. I would have found a way to put him on that list. Top fifty list.
3: player. Wow. Old yeah.
4: Bird. Well, I mean, think about it, Stu. He would have. He's already he got... To have
3: the highs then, I
4: think. Yeah. That one, I mean, but. That Yeah, that would probably cap it off, but I think what we're talking about is that these defenses he's had have not been very good, you know, and they're still – he got him in the playoff one year. He has a pretty good chance to get him in the playoff, you know, a second time in three years. You know, he did have a – his freshman year he put up big numbers at Texas Tech when he played. So, um, well, I mean, there's still plenty of time to figure out the legacy of Baker Mayfield, but um, he's, he's a um, – I don't know, and I got to admit I'm a, probably a little biased on him because he's a very engaging subject. I think he's good for college football because he uh I'm not saying everything he does is the right thing, but you can, you know, he can you can ask him about anything and he will explain it. I mean, he he uh you know, he makes his mistakes, but I think he addresses them. And I think that at least from that standpoint, I think you have a guy who's incredibly passionate about about the sport, and he knows that, like, the rivalries make it good. I mean, he embraces the rivalry st- stuff in all these games, and I think that's what makes well, it fun. he is
3: one of the more, you know, <laughs> we haven't seen many guys in his profile who just, like, are such kind of, I mean, he trolls people. That's what he does. And he's, and he's, whether he's planting the flag in the field or wearing some of the T-shirts that he has worn, he, I don't think people made a big deal of what he said after the game about we expect to beat Oklahoma State. I read the full context of it. It didn't really seem all that inflammatory, but because it's Baker Mayfield, people take it that way. Anyway, my point is, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you have to back it up. Uh, imagine the the crap he would take if he lost
4: more of these games. So he backs it he up, it, and I, he, he, he backs, backs it up. up. He's won
3: every true road start he's made at Oklahoma, which to me is amazing.
4: Yeah, I you know, like I said, I think it's it's. It's a heck of a legacy he's putting together. And especially, he's, he's the biggest reason why Lincoln Riley's been able to bridge from Bob Stoops in year one and had so much success. You know, and I think that's a credit to him. All right, Stu. So we've obviously covered a lot of stuff, but now let's shift gears a little bit to Mark Helfrich, who has had a big first year off the sidelines, joining us at Fox Sports One and Fox Sports as a game analyst.
3: And I think people who have watched his games are getting to hear a different Mark Helperch than they ever saw at Oregon. He's, his personality shines through, and he's just much more kind of outgoing and vocal. So I, you know, I watched him on the Stanford, um, Washington State game. He's really good. So I think it's uh, it's fun that we get to talk to him and uh, let's get on to the interview.
4: Okay, and now we are joined by our guest, uh, my colleague at at Fox Sports and FS1, uh, former Oregon head coach Mark Helfrich. We're going to talk to him about his transition to becoming a big TV star. Coach, thanks for joining us.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, it's great to join you and that really discredits your, you know, legitimate credentials credentials as a as a journalist to even even call us colleagues, but it's an, it's an honor <laughs> to be your colleague.
4: Thank you,
2: in all seriousness, Mark, I'm going to start by buttering you up. I watched a good deal of the Stanford game uh, that you called this past week. It sounds like you've been doing this for fifteen years. I mean, it really does sound like you're a natural TV analyst. Did you have any inkling this is something that you know would really suit you?
0: Uh, not at all. and any anything that sounds good is is all Petros and uh, and Justin Kutcher, the guys that I work with they're uh, great, great guys uh, and make it make it easy, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's 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 hard. It's a lot harder than I expected, but it, it's been a lot of fun.
4: I wanted to ask you. So, just knowing you a little bit, especially in the the those Pac-12 meetings that are in Arizona, for people who are there, you get to see probably a better window into your personality than maybe you know the media got to see when you were at Oregon. Unless it was maybe sometimes it was you could see it a little in post game press conferences, and I think you know our bosses have been very pleasantly surprised at at just how quickly you've taken to this. I know your producer this year, Eric Billigmeyer was my producer last year. And so we talked quite a bit, um, from this transition, what has been the hardest thing that you've had to kind of work through just being on live TV with the headset on? And, and it's not like you're in studio where it's scripted and you're going to say this, and he's going to say that it's, 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 it's live.
0: Yeah, I think a couple of things that you just said right there. Eric Bildmeyer has been awesome, has been great to me, and is a, is obviously I'm not, I'm limited in my knowledge of of uh, production, but I I don't know how somebody could be better. But uh, just that of somebody in your ear, kind of telling you, hey, we're going to commercial in five seconds, or stop doing this, or do that, or uh, and so it's it's weird to continue talking with somebody, you know, screaming in their ear. I, for many years, I've had a lot of guys screaming in in you know, we've screamed in each other's ears, but it's kind of as a game has progressed along, but, but uh, kind of continuing all the, the cues and all that stuff. Uh, and then just all the, the nomenclature and the, the, the buzzwords that I have no idea what they mean, that those guys talk back and forth about all the time. Uh, but again, those guys have, have made that, that part of it uh, much easier.
2: Do you feel like you can be more yourself on, on TV than when you're coaching and people like us are grilling you with questions and you, you know, obviously don't want to, you know, I'm sure there were things you, you wanted to say, but couldn't, uh, in that setting.
0: Well, sure. I think there's a million things. And, and that's probably something that I could, uh, that I have, and certainly would learn from is to be, uh, be whatever that is, more yourself, all that stuff, uh, more as a, as a coach, but you are, you know, you're representing so many different things. You're you're sending messages to so many different people. Um, sometimes that's that's uh, you know behind the scenes, but but uh, no, I've learned a lot about uh, just the the relationship between the media and college football. Whether that's coaches, how coaches handle it differently, how programs handle it differently, uh, how the sports information directors, how differently that really. Um, it affects it affects how how you know the coverage is 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 kind of I don't want to say slanted but it it all matters.
4: When you sit in the the Friday meetings with the the coach and the coordinators, uh, you obviously were in those meetings for a long time, not just when you were a head coach, but when you were a coordinator. Uh, is it a little surreal to be on the other side of it, where you've already watched film and you're you're trying to work on a storyline probably for the next day, and and to sit in the other side of the chair to to to, to analyze it as opposed to just kind of react to it?
0: <laughs> it it is. Uh, it's it's weird for you know many reasons. We had the uh, the Oregon State Minnesota game earlier in, in the in the year, and that was kind of the or not kind of, that was the, 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 the place where, you know, my last game as a head coach was, and, and that that's a weird feeling. Uh, then you fast forward it to, we had um, Arizona State and Utah, and uh, and so Utah was was a place where our last win was when I was at Oregon, and I had also coached at Arizona State, and so I know you know uh, a lot of the media people and the the support staff. A lot of those people are still the same from when I was there, shoot, 15 years ago, and so a lot of that stuff is it's just more um, it, it's it's weird, and and uh, guys that you've coached against or recruited against, um, but I, I have pretty good relationships with all those guys, and so it's not it's not necessarily, you know, a, a negative in terms of, of, of discomfort. It's just, it's just, it's just awkward.
2: Along those same lines, what would you say your, your kind of relationship right now is with Oregon? I mean, obviously it did not end well. Um, do you, <laughs> are you still a fan of the ducks? Are you still watching them? Or are you kind of, you know, I, I've never been in that situation, you know, I mean, you're kind sure. of living, breathing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's weird. No question about it. It's, it's, um, you know, they, they, um, you know, however you look at the the ex-girlfriend that's dating someone else or, you know, moved on, everybody's had that kind of moment and you have to, at, at some point you have to move on. And, um, I think I certainly have. And, and, um, uh, we still live in Eugene. So that's, that's weird. Um, it's a small town and, and people are, you know, people are very, uh, uh, forward and positive and friendly. And that, that's, that's nice. You know, probably probably the people that aren't, don't, don't say anything, but but the the people that do are, are, um, you know, happens every day. Um, and so that's, it's, it's weird. Um, but again, you have to move on and, 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 uh, certainly a a ton of guys there that, that, that we recruited that, that, uh, I care a great deal about and, and, you know, wish them, wish them the best.
4: I know it's, a, yeah, as you said, it's a small town. I know, you know, Mario Cristobal and I are basically the same age, went to Miami at the same time. And we did an Oregon game when they played Nebraska week two. And so I went to see him and I think he lives in Eric Chenander's old house. Um, <laughs> and so how, I mean, have you run into, I know you probably don't know everybody on the new staff, but have you crossed, you know, bumped into some of these guys around town just in the, whatever it is, in eight months sure. since? Yeah.
0: Yeah, sure it happens, whether it's yeah, uh, a function or, uh, you know, whatever uh, school, you know, there, there's always kind of some awkward uh, uh, encounters. But again, everybody's everybody's whatever adult enough and professional enough to, to kind of move on. Um, uh, but, yeah, the, the ironic part about that is that was Eric Anders' house and then Brie Hoke's house and, uh, and Mario <laughs> Cristobal's house. So,
2: so go figure. Why does that, what? Hopefully,
0: hopefully hopefully chins has been able to raise the rent with every, <laughs>
2: every uh, tenant why 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 is that house why why is that house never leave the oregon coaching staff
0: why is that house well uh, this profession is kind of odd that way that people uh people are in and out and, and uh and so uh eric chenander i think has has kept that uh and uh has rented it out i believe i'm not i'm not
4: uh, yeah, Mario. Mario didn't buy it, so he. I think he's renting it to him now. We should just mention real yeah, quick. The, no. the
2: listeners might not know uh, who you're talking about. He. he that's Scott Frost. But yeah, Erickson, yeah.
0: It, right. Eric and now, the defensive coordinator at Central Florida, doing a doing a great job as well. Obviously, is Frosty doing a great job.
4: With it, so in the same time, I'm curious. You, know, you have you have pretty young kids. Obviously, you're gonna. I would imagine you get to spend way more time with them now than you did <laughs> when you're. When you're running a, a football program in the Pac-12, how has that been to kind of? Because we had we had Gene Chiswick on our podcast probably like uh-huh. six months ago, and he really talked about it. his kids were older. His his youngest, I think, is a senior right. in high school now. In but high just school, yep. yeah, and just getting the chance to. And it's probably not fair to say just be a dad again because you're you know you're still a dad, but just to have way more time now to be way involved in the day to day of your, of your family. Um, what's that been no, yeah. like? Yeah. A, a
0: 180 degree difference. And, and that, that, uh, I've actually talked to Chiz a few times about his, you know, his whole situation and everything that he went through. And, and like you said, his kids were are much older, but it's, uh, <laughs> it goes back and forth, uh, from kind of guilt of not having been there before, both as a, as a husband and a father, and just really, really makes you refocus and take complete, advantage of of all those all those times yesterday I played I think I played horse with both of our kids or playing catch with both of our you know doing you know all that stuff and I I really try to take you know take a moment and, and savor it and realize how lucky that is to be able to do
2: and so you mentioned you're going around now obviously you're you're seeing what other how other programs are run and 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 how certain coaches handle certain things you know uh, if you were to get the, another chance, are there some certain things you would, you would incorporate or that you look back and feel like, Oh, I wish we, we had done that at Oregon.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah, always, I think always, you know, whether you're in, in the grind or, or kind of where, you know, where I am now, whether it's in sports or in business or anything, you're always looking for those, just those little, uh, nuanced things that, that might, End up being a difference maker, and yeah, certainly whether it's the media relations aspect of it, uh, I think there's a lot of things that that we could certainly do better, differently, more or less, Um, and and always looking at at things from a a football standpoint, an X and O standpoint, and and you know, so many of those. That's one thing that's been different and and neat about my situation now is uh, you know learning a lot more about the the Big Ten, a lot more about the Big Twelve uh, how people, uh, do things, you know, it's football's football to a certain degree, but it's, it's interesting how kind of, uh, cyclical things are within a conference throughout a year. So somebody, somebody gets somebody on a play early on in the season, that's going to show up against them for the rest of the year. And, and that, that kind of has manifested itself differently in each conference. And, and, uh, and, and it's, uh, so that's been, it's just something, you know, you always, always kind of pick up on as a, as a person that tries to to look at it from a strategic standpoint
4: which seems more see, surreal to you at this point that you are sitting in a booth with petros doing games or that your old boss chip kelly is now king of the telestrator over in bristol
0: <laughs> uh i like that he's the king of the tel- telestrator both of those are surreal and both great petros and and chip are both uh you know i've gotten to know petros uh, to the you know to a to a much greater degree i've always been a fan of his and had a, a good relationship with him, but but um, uh, he's been he's been awesome and helped me out so much. And and uh, I need to check out Chip more. I've only seen the. I need to see the Telestrator parts because I've only seen the uh, the kind of the uh, in you know in The Telestrator is his age.
4: wheel is his wheelhouse. He, they should give see him that, a bowl, they should give him a bowling shirt with the monogram Tasty just across because <laughs> that's his thing now.
0: Tasty, nice. tasty nice. Yeah, the, I was I was in a bad zone of the the Washington State uh, Stanford game. My, my our telestrator was broken, so I, I felt I I felt way out of place. I was having telestrator withdrawals, so I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous.
2: So just so we should mention Bruce and I both worked pretty closely with Petros for a couple years there on, on studio shows on Fox. Uh, Petros is a storyteller, uh, to say the least. In fact, he came he has come on this podcast and told some of the most memorable stories we've ever had on this podcast. I'm trying to picture what the dinner the night before the games is like with that crew.
0: I mean, it's just nonstop laughter and usually either, either because of his story or at, you know, at the expense of how he told the story, because <laughs> it's, uh, you know, inevitably the, the, the fact that he's the, you know, whatever, whether it's the, the worst running back on a great SC team or the captain of the worst SC, you know, he has many different, ta- many different ways to, Describe himself, or to be, uh, you know, kind of in self self deprecating mode, or just growing up as a as a Greek restaurant tour with belly dancers, and all. it's just it's it's nonstop, and it's and it's it's amazing how many fans come up to him across the country and 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 just dive in and love it.
4: One of my favorite Petro stories that I could r- tell in this setting, which means there's a, there's a great <laughs> one that I'm gonna have to text you to get get him. To
0: yeah, tell is you. this is this? Are we doing XM serious here? You no, know,
4: and, and that other story I don't even think could do XM serious. That's like way off, That's a way after hour story. But this one is. <laughs> so he had a teammate. I forgot which McCullough brother it is, Sultan or Saladin. One I forgot which one, but it was a, one of the. Coladine was an Oregon guy. Yeah. Okay. So this one, this one also was very fast. But I remember, Petra was telling, um, telling it where they're in the huddle, I guess. And he said he didn't even know who some of his offensive linemen were. <laughs> like he was like, "Who's that guy? That's our starting <laughs> defensive tackle." <laughs> and just, um, just kind of his his kind of stories on his teammates are pretty pretty, just they're they're unique. So. Um, but I'll text you the other story that you need to ask him about. It's a, it's a, I look it's,
0: forward to it. it's an
4: infamous, yeah. an Im- infamous LA Dodger story. Um, so you have, you have the Washington game this weekend. Uh, I know, you know, Chris Peterson very well. I know one of your former proteges, uh, colleagues, uh, Matt Lubick is on that staff. I know you're pretty tight with yeah. a lot of those guys. Um, uh, I, I, we used the word awkward a little bit before, but when you go into these games where you know some of these guys really, really well, um, mm-hmm. does it make you more guarded or less guarded to start to tell, hey, what story can I tell in the course of this game, or what you know, <laughs> you don't want to give away the story yeah. here?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's all of those things. I mean, I thought you know, last week sitting with with Mike Leach beforehand, it's like you know, it's like we're sitting in a bar and wherever you know, and just just talking. Uh, I think we talked about football once or twice. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, But, you know, uh, certainly, yeah, there's things that, that are personal and all that stuff. But I think also uh, kind of what we were talking about before of getting behind the person a little bit more, maybe that's a, a unique vantage point that, that I do have is, is, you know, knowing these guys for many years and, and the, the awkwardness of, of, doing the game. And, you know, David Shaw knows that I'm not talking to Chris Peterson and Chris Peterson knows I'm not talking to David Shaw, you know, from their strategy, you know, privacy concerns, all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've known these guys so many different ways, uh, recruiting against them, you know, traveling with them in different facets. And, and if you don't, you know, if you don't get along with a guy that's that, you know, that might make it a little bit harder. But again, there's not, not too many of those guys that, that I don't have a a good relationship with.
4: So you're doing really well on this that, that I know from our bosses and you're getting to spend much, much more time with your, with your wife and kids. How are you looking at this is you're still a young guy who has had a lot of success as a coach and, and are very versed in a system that is very, uh, you know, it's, it's doing it's certainly doing well at UCF. And I think there, it, it plays well in a lot of different places. So, what are you looking at as as the not too distant future of how you you want your life in football to be?
0: Well, yeah, I go back and forth on that. I've had had uh, you know a lot of conversations in 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 every phase, whether it kind of professionally or uh, you know with our family of, of of kind of how how to go about things. And and the, the short answer is I, I don't know. The, the cheating answer is it depends. Uh, but but um, it has been it has been a lot of fun doing what what I'm doing now, kind of getting the football fix, getting the, to, to be a, a much better husband and, and a much better father, hope, hopefully. Um, and, and then at the same time uh, I do miss, you know, I do miss being around the staff, obviously miss game day. The the, the strategic part of that is, is that's kind of a, uh, you know, a Jones that you, it, there's hard to, hard to find. Um, and then just the player being around the players and, and affecting those guys in a, in a positive way, that, that's irreplaceable. You know, that's, that's something that that you can't just go out and and do that. So I do miss, you know, I do miss a ton of those things. I don't miss the, the, uh, the late night phone calls and some of the stuff they have to deal with. And, and uh, uh, you know, maybe some of the, the travel parts of things, but the weirdest, the weirdest thing for me is post-game. I still still can't get over right when the game is over. There's no, you know, there's no immediate, scoreboard there's no immediately oh my gosh hey uh feldman's hurt we got to replace him you know (laughs) there's no just you know what i mean and and you can sit there and go for me i make a million mistakes in the broadcast and i know that i mispronounced whatever six utah guys last names and you think about those (laughs) things but it's it's uh that's a weird feeling to not have a have an outcome uh and so uh but you can work through that too
2: My last thing would be, you might be able to help us get some insight on a guy who you worked very closely with, and that's Scott Frost. He's Uh established himself as, I mean, it seems like he will be the hot coach on the coaching carousel this coming, uh, well, really in about a month or less. Um, And and maybe you still talk to him, and I'm not asking you to give up any secrets by any means, but maybe a little insight on how you think he'll handle the situation if, for instance, Uh, I mean, the Florida job is open. They might be looking at him. Nebraska is expected to come open. Obviously that's his alma mater. Uh, You know, any insight into how you think he would handle a situation like that?
0: I think the beauty of it for him is it, it, is it, you know, not too, I was going to say it is, it is completely up to him, but it isn't, I guess, (laughs) there's you know, decision makers involved and all that stuff, but whatever he does, he'll succeed at. He is a, He's, you know, a smart dude. He's a tough guy. He, he's the the guy. The players love playing for him. Um, he, uh, you know, I think he has arguably the best non-power five non-power five job in America, just of the the location, uh, the the how the the school is structured, funding wise. You know, all those things that you need to be successful. That's there, um, but. You're not playing for for all the marbles, and I know he's the type of competitor that that at some point, if he so chooses, he would want to he would want to do that. Uh, yeah, irony of ironies, I was flying from Seattle to Pullman the other day, and Kendra Moose, who is Bill <laughs> Moose, the athletic director at Nebraska's wife, was on the. We were sitting next to each other, and we, you know, I've known her in and out. I mean, not you know intimately since ni- like 1997, and so. Uh, you know, I, I put in my two cents, if, if something were to change, cause that's such a, such a weird, weird situation with, you talk about weird. Uh, we had that game with Mike Riley in Nebraska, but I have a ton of respect for him. Um, but back to your, back to your question, Scott Frost will be great wherever he goes. Great staff of, of guys, uh, that, that we're very familiar with and, and excited to, he's got a baby on the way and excited to see what the, the future holds
4: how much different is what he's doing maybe on the field? I don't know if I had a chance to watch much of them compared to, Mm -hmm. is it like Mm -hmm. what you guys, is it identical to what you guys are doing with just a little different players or how has he kind of put his own spin on things?
0: Um, What I've seen is, yeah, it's very similar. And I'm sure they're doing some things differently too. Um, uh, But what, yeah, what I've seen is, is, you know, similar base, similar, uh, the, the base structure of everything, how, how we set it up. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, again, what he knows and then combined with a bunch of other great background that he has. And we talked a little earlier about Eric Chenander doing a great job on, on defense and they've been, they've been really good and they came into a place just at the perfect time uh, after, you know, a tough couple of years uh, at UCF. And, and they came in with, with kind of the right amount of, tough and the right amount of love and the right amount of background to success to really harness those guys. And they have obviously flourished.
4: All right. Well, Mark, we appreciate you taking the time. We know it's, um, you know, the season's gone pretty fast and uh, I'm sure it's been very surreal. So um, this weekend, this Friday night, you guys, like, as we said, have, uh, what time is your kickoff?
0: It's at 745 Pacific. So the late one. So yeah, uh, Washington not happy about that. The short week on the road, uh, but uh, good good chance for them to take over the Pac twelve uh, Pac twelve North. All
2: That's right. the Washington well, Stanford game Friday night, ten forty five Eastern. I'll be there and uh, check out. Uh, check, I'm telling you, I'm not just saying it. You guys, you're going to be very impressed when you when you tune in Friday night.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it very much. Th- thanks, Stu. Thanks, Bruce.
4: All right. Thanks, Mark. Take care.
2: If you enjoy the Audible, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy college football podcasts, you should also check out the All-American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer on the Audible is Lindsey Fulton. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at BruceFeldmanCFB. Follow myself at SL Mandel and subscribe to the All-American at theathletic.com slash All-American.